Hello, my name is Kirsty Styles, and I'm here with James Meadway, who's a senior economist at the New Economics Foundation for the weekly economics podcast, where today we're going to be talking about the eye-watering levels of global debt and whether that might spark another economic crash. globe is awash in more debt than ever, a whopping 57 trillion more than just eight years ago. One of the things that's quite extraordinary, Olivia, is the fact that uh, the world has continued to pile on yeah, debt. Yeah, levered up. $57 trillion is a very large number. The world is still addicted to debt. On the report from McKinsey Corporation, this is one of the most highly regarded business consultancies in the world. A broader range of solutions for reducing government debt will need to be considered. What is that a euphemism for, a broader range of solutions? Last week, management consultants McKinsey came out with a rather unoptimistic report that says the global economy has more debt than even before the 2008 crash. So, James, could you just give us a sense of the size of this debt? How big are we talking? Well, really big, really, really big. Um, the, I mean, if you're talking about the amount of debt in the world economy uh, just before the crash, then it's probably about, uh, well, it's not exactly, it's about $142 trillion in 2007. Uh, now, McKinsey reckons about $199 trillion of debt, uh, sort of knocking around the world economy in one way or another. So it's a big increase. Uh, relative to the size of the world economy, it's, it's a very significant increase. It's now about 286% of global GDP. So it's a very, very large amount of debt precisely appearing over the period where we are supposed to be getting rid of debt. We're supposed to be paying debt off. So how can you have debt that's so much larger than, than the actual economy? Well, if it's like if you if you have any kind of income yourself and you go and borrow money, that if you know you can find someone to lend you the cash, then uh, regardless of how much you're actually earning, you can borrow it. So what's happening now is lots and lots of places, and it's striking that this is occurring, particularly in the global south, in sort of lower income, middle income countries, that they are piling on much more debt at a much faster rate, and their economies are growing. So the size of the economy is chugging along, actually quite rapidly, if you're somewhere like China, but the size of the debt they're building up is growing much, much more rapidly. This is very, very similar to what people in the global north, uh, what we did up until about 2007, that we had debt growing much more rapidly than the size of the economy was growing. Okay, so uh, sounds like we haven't learned the lessons of, of the financial crash. Well, there's a degree to which that's sort of true. It's it's kind of transferred. The the location of this has moved, uh, and the way in which it's happening is, has shifted somewhat. So instead of being in the older economy, so in Europe, in North America, in Japan, it's now shifted to places like and McKinsey pick out China, especially where this process of debt growth being faster than the economy growth has really sort of taken root, and it's really sort of it's the South that's now driving this rather than the north. Okay, so China is still growing uh, far faster than lots of uh, developed economies. Um, how can you be growing and yet still um, be racking up all this debt? Well, there's, there's two ways that this can work. And we saw this, again, if you think to what was happening over the 2000s up to 2007, 2008 with the crash, that you can have debt as a way of pulling the rest of the economy along, that you borrow enough that it can spark off, for instance, people going off and spending more money on lots and lots of goods or buying houses or whatever it might be. That is one way that debt can kind of pull the economy along. So we certainly did that in Britain, that you had lots of people, despite actually fairly flat growth in real wages over this period of time, you had lots of people able to borrow lots and lots, go off and 
spend. That in turn kept the economy ticking over and growing quite rapidly up until 2007. What's happened in China since the crash is that whereas before the economy was growing either faster or about the same pace as debt, you now have debt that's pulling the economy along. So the economy is still growing at 7% a year, right? It's very rapid relative to here, say, or, or any other older economy like North America or Europe or whatever. But debt is growing even faster than that. Okay. So um, it's referred to as a debt pile uh, in McKinsey's report. Just give us an idea of all of the components that make up that pile. Well, the, the way that they divide it up, the way that everyone tries to divide it up, if you think about this enormous stack of claims, that's what a debt is, really. It's a claim against a future income. You say, if you have a debt, that you will repay someone with interest. The interest rate will vary at some point in the future, and you give them their money back plus a bit extra. So all of this debt piles up. One side of it is who owes the debt. Who is it that has borrowed the money and now owes it to somewhere else? The other side of it is who holds the other end of the debt? Who are the creditors? Um, what you've got, I think, in the McKinsey report is they divide it up into public and private sector. So you've got the debt of the government and the various governments of the world. Uh, that's the debt that the government we have here has been very, very concerned to repay. They say that our government debt is very, very high. If you look at the report, it's obviously not particularly. Then you have the debt of the private sector. So that's households, which basically you and me, uh, corporations, you know, businesses need to borrow uh, to do all sorts of things. And then, of course, also financial corporations. So banks principally also end up borrowing very, very large amounts of money. Right. And in China, particularly, um, they are um, suffering, I guess, from from um, the sh shadow banking or, or lots of uh, transactions are happening in the shadow banking sector. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about um, who's acting in, in, in the shadows? Well, this is a fairly specific thing in China that what you have uh, taking place there is a, a demand for borrowing that isn't being met by the conventional banking system. So there are banks in China, they make loans just like Banks make loans everywhere. And then you get a whole load of institutions that work like banks but aren't regulated and managed in the same way. So there's a particular concern here that if you have a large amount of borrowing that is appearing outside of the regulated banking system, that is coming through lots of, well, shadow banking institutions, institutions that act like banks but aren't regulated in the same way, aren't managed in the same way, this is much, much higher risk. Or it potentially is much, much higher risk. You don't really know because they're not regulated and managed and all the rest of it. So that shadow banking Banking uh, debt has risen by about a third uh, over over 2007 to 2014. And so, can all this debt be paid back? Well, this is the problem: is that either we get very rapid economic growth everywhere. Uh, that if we have suddenly very rapid economic growth, uh, everybody, all these debtors, all the people who borrowed money, whether it's households or governments or businesses or whoever it is, will have more cash. They'll be able to repay their debts without any problem if we get a big return to economic growth. Um, or we get very uh, very high inflation right the way across the world. Uh, this reduces the real value of debt over time, so you can kind of chisel away at it like that. Or, in fact, you end up doing, and this is kind of what happened in 2007, 2008, you end up with a whole load of people who just can't repay their debts. So they default on their debt. That can be quite good for them. You know, if you go through a bankruptcy process, it's like press, pressing a reset button. You can kind of start again. It's just bad for whoever loaned you the money. And if you're a big financial institution that's loaned an awful lot of money in the expectation that you'll get that money back with interest and you don't, you find yourself in a crisis.
So what's the worst case scenario? Are we going to see a financial crisis coming out of China? Well, it's, it's, it's possible. I mean, the, the issue, and McKinsey highlighted this, the issue in China is that they dealt relatively well with the uh, crash of 2007-2008. The government moved very, very rapidly to try and uh, pump money into the economy, to stoke up demand, to insulate the Chinese economy from what was happening in the rest of the world. And they did that pretty successfully. It would appear that one of the downsides of that success is that this is one of the factors that's helped spark up the debt bubble this time, that a lot of the money that the government was trying to get into the economy has just gone into Chinese property. So there's been this sort of property bubble. And with that, lots and lots of borrowing. About half of this new debt being created in China is going straight into Chinese property. So there's this property bubble that's being created there. That sounds sounds remarkably like uh, well, like it all sounds, yes exactly it's it's kind of a familiar story here the the question to raise is will governments be able to either carefully deflate this property bubble over time so you kind of manage the whole process or if you can't do that can you deal with the consequences of it just collapsing. That is a bit of an open question at this point in time. What the Chinese government would like to do is manage the process of deflating the property bubble. What it may end up having to do is dealing with a crisis. Okay. And so, do we need to do anything here, or what? What? What can we do? Well, what can we do? Well, these are these are huge sort of global questions. Where I mean, what any of us can do immediately is is sort of a little bit open open to open to question. I think one of the things that that's striking in all of this, and it's been the case in the developed world especially, is that the appearance of debt on a very, very large scale is related to the rise in inequality. That if you have rapid rising in inequality, a few people are doing very, very well. Most people are, well, if you take this country until very, very recently, real wages were falling for most people. So they were steadily getting worse off over time. Increase in inequality over the last 20 or 30 years. You have a few people who are very well off. They have the capacity to lend money to all these people who have less income. So they do. So you get debt related very directly to the rise in inequality. So one of the things you might want to do to try and get out of that is address the rise in inequality. And that would mean things like, well, we've seen the stories this week, clamping down on tax havens, clamping down on tax avoidance, transferring wealth out of the hands of the wealthy and into the hands of everybody else. And that would be one way to address the fundamental causes of a debt crisis. Uh, thanks, James. That's um, great to have an optimistic note to end on. Uh, now we've got a new feature, James's Jargon of the Week. This week, the jargon that needs busting is the word deleveraging. Yes, this is the, the slightly flash word that McKinsey uh, used to describe what's going on or what they want to see happening. Deleveraging basically means you're paying off your debts. You're, you're shrinking the size of your debt relative to the size of your income. It, that's all there is to it, really. It comes from the idea of leverage. If you have something that's very leveraged, it's very heavily indebted. So deleveraging is winding that process down. Okay, James. Well, um, as always, an enlightening uh, few minutes that I've got to steal with you. Thank you so much for taking the time out to chat to me today. Thank you. If you have any questions about economics for James, then please get in touch with me at Kirsty Styles One on Twitter. We'll be back at the same time next week.